Well, friends, uh, you, as you've no doubt picked up on through my several references to it already this morning, uh, this is a new year and a new sermon series for us starting this morning. This morning we begin what will be about a 20-week journey through the book of Exodus. One of our goals here in our, in our times of uh, Bible study on Sunday mornings, where we come together to listen to God's word together and then to try, to try to imagine together what it would look like to embrace his word and to obey his word together. One of our goals for those times, um, as, we, as we think about longer range planning, is to be constantly alternating between different kinds of material that the Bible has. Jumping from New Testament to Old Testament to New Testament to Old Testament. Jumping from the different genres, from things like letters, which we studied in the fall, to poems, which we studied last summer, to books of law and stories that tell us about God's goodness and what it looks like to follow him. So this year, you know, last year we, 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 we included a lot of letters and a lot of poetry. We're just coming out of a New Testament series. This year, the choice was easy to begin the year with Exodus, a book that's full of stories about who God is and what he's done, and also full of laws that help us to know how to respond to the stories of who he is and what he's done. To jump from the New Testament into the Old Testament that explains the things that happen in the New Testament, that give us the context we need for knowing who God is and what he's been up to throughout history. What we're going to be doing together in the book of Exodus is, is walking through one of the most recognizable and iconic sections in the whole Bible. It's the second book. It's one of the books that's usually associated with Moses, though the book doesn't mention who wrote it. It's always been traditionally associated with Moses and his work and his leadership of Israel. He's the one that's the leader described in the book. And, I mean, beyond these facts about Exodus, I mean, really, when you boil it down, Exodus is just incredible. It is a striking, brilliant story. It's got some of the most recognizable characters in the Bible. And some of the most recognizable scenes from the backbreaking work of Israel enslaved, making bricks and building them into cities for the Pharaoh, to the miraculous birth of Moses, a child sent from God to lead his people into salvation, to the meeting with God from Moses in the burning bush, a bush that's on fire but not actually being consumed where Moses hears God speak to the plagues brought on Egypt, one by one by one to break their back and to set their pe God's people free, to the Passover, the night on which God did set his people free through bringing a terrible, almost unthinkable judgment on, is on Egypt for their sin, but sparing Israel by his grace and mercy in her sin, to the Red Sea, where Israel had literally their backs up against an impenetrable wall of water with the, one of the most powerful armies in the ancient world bearing down on them only to see God part those waters so they could walk right through on dry land to the wilderness wanderings where quickly Israel forgets who God has been to them to the golden calf episode where Israel makes a God using the customs of the people around them, the things they learned in Egypt and tries to channel the power of the God who delivered them into this form that they recognized and understood and felt like they could control. These are some iconic scenes that we're going to get to see together through our study. And on top of all these stories, Exodus is a book that gives us the Ten Commandments. Perhaps, let's see, probably, the most influential code of ethics in all of history, worldwide, 
Exodus is an incredible book by any measure, and it's also a book with an incredible history. Not just in the rest of the Bible, which talks about the Exodus over and over and over again after this, but even in human culture since that time. Uh, Just take our own country's history, and Exodus has a life of its own. It was the story of the Exodus that fired up colonists who were really angry about British overreach and helped them justify their revolution and the, the, the start of a new country for themselves. Or think of the slaves who lived and died in this country, reading and retelling the story of the God who hears the oppressed when they cry to him, who listens, answers, and brings them out of bondage. Or consider the words of the Ten Commandments, which have shown up in some of the most prominent rhetoric in American history to the actual laws written that govern this country and and many others in the West, to the fights over whether or not these laws should be in works of art that are established in public property like courthouse lawns or walls. This is a book with history. And of course, there's, on top of all of that, there's Charlton Heston and the Ten Commandments movie in popular culture that's introduced or mediated Moses to us. my, My point is that I mean, I, I feel coming into a book like this one, you know, as a student of the Bible, an opportunity to, to, to teach and to learn together its message, what I imagine a, a great musician must feel like coming to something like Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, you know, where it's just, you're awestruck by it. It has this incredible life and history of its own, and here you come, you're going to step into it. That's what I think we get to do together through this study. But for all of the wonder that comes from approaching a text like this one with a history like this one, there also comes a great challenge. Because when you're coming to a text that you already have preconceptions about, a text that comes to you through century after century of built-up custom and assumption, one of the challenges is to, to let the text speak on its own terms, to try to cut through all the, the layers of sediment, if you will, that have built up on top of its message and see it as its original hearers would have seen it, to learn from it, from its own context as the starting point for anything that we take from it into our context. That's the challenge that's in front of us. That's what we're going to pray to God week by week to help us with, and that's what we're going to start this morning. Week by week, it's going to be a big focus for us, trying to put Exodus back into its context before we apply it to our context. And what I want to do this morning is try to set us up for success in that effort together. I want to give you a bird's eye view of this book. I want to introduce you to its major themes, to what it does in its own terms and to how it fits in the bigger picture of what the Bible is doing. I want to give you a kind of, uh, think of it as a, a key to a map so that you'll know where you are as we move our way through this book week by week. And what I want to say at the top, what I want to make sure that you understand coming into this series and what I hope you'll leave this series understanding more deeply than you ever have before is that this book is a book about freedom, a story about about true freedom. But the main focus in this story about freedom is not what Israel gets set free from. It's really not about Egypt. But rather, it's about who sets them free and about what he sets them free for. It's about who it is that redeems them and why he redeems them. We're going to try to see those two themes all through our study, beginning with this morning. The themes of grace, God's grace in redemption, on his own initiative, coming to a people that had nowhere else to turn and saving them, and his call to those people to obedience, to trust him as the God who saved them 
to also be the God who explains to them how to live in a way that honors him and, and that is good for them. We're going to try to trace God's grace in redemption and his purpose in redemption this morning. And when we do that, Lord willing, we're going to see more clearly how this book prepares us for Jesus and the freedom of the gospel that's offered to all of us. That's our plan for this morning. What I want to do is just read the, the introduction to the book, the first few verses that set the stage. We're going to come back to them next week and get into a, a lot more detail. But for this morning, just to start off our, start, our study of this book, I want to invite you to stand with me in honor of God's word. I'm going to read beginning in Exodus chapter 1, verse 1, and read through verse 7. This is God's word to us. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died, and all his brothers, and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong, so that the land was filled with them. This is God's word. You can be seated. I mentioned we're going to come back to these verses and and to the rest of chapter 1 next week and go in much greater detail into the setup for the story that's to come. Hopefully, at least a few things were clear, even from those few verses. This is a story about Israel, the descendants of Jacob, whom God had promised to make, a, from whom God had promised to make a great people and to give them a land where they could be, where they could dwell in safety and peace and be his people as he was their God. This is a, a story, in other words, with a history of its own, a backstory that we'll look into a little bit next week. What we've just read, though, also sets up the first major theme that I want to make sure you guys see this morning and that we're going to trace together throughout the weeks to come. And that is the theme of of Exodus and the God who is behind this Exodus. The first 15 or so chapters of the book tell the story of Israel's rescue from bondage in Egypt. What we just read sets that up by putting them in Egypt, by showing that they were multiplying greatly, that they were becoming so strong that they were a threat to the powers that be, who then decided to oppress them. Again, more on that to come next week. That's the context in which God acts. The word exodus means going out or departure. And it makes sense given the content of the book. But but what I want you to notice, what I'm going to say this morning, try to explain this morning, and then what I'm going to point you to over and over again over the weeks to come, is that in this departure, the thing exodus, the book, wants you to notice is not Egypt itself and not even Israel first and foremost, but the identity of the God who sees Israel, who sees their distress in Egypt, who listens to their cries, and who uses his power to bring them out. It's a story that reveals who God is, in other words. That's the point of Exodus. It's a story that defines him and defines him by free grace given to desperate people who trust in him. That's a theme. That identity of for God is, 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 is way bigger than just this story. In fact, this story 
It's told here because of the symbolic significance it has. A true story, something that really happened, but that then has a huge significance in the rest of what the Bible does for explaining who God is, how we can know him. Let me give you an example, I think, of a, a little bit of how this story is supposed to function to identify God to us. So, uh, you know, what, with the, the passing of the midterm elections last November, we are officially in presidential campaign season here in the United States. And the presidential hopefuls, one by one, will begin to announce their intentions to run for president. And what you want to pay attention to as they do that is oftentimes where they set up their stage and their backdrop for the announcements that they make. Where they choose to announce their intention to run for president will tell you a lot about who they are, about what they value. Often, that's what they intend by it. So if someone wants to run uh, on, on an identity that has a lot to do with national security or strong patriotism or a, a military background, that person might stage their announcement in front of a military base or some other sort of installment like that. If a person wants to run based on their business chops, they might set up somewhere in Manhattan or the business that they founded or something like that. If they want to be known for their affinity for labor, for the working people, they might set up in a factory where, say, her father worked for years and years and years. Something like that. These are, these are locations chosen for their symbolic significance, right? They tell you something about the identity of the person, how they want to be known. Think about the Exodus story as the backdrop for God's announcement of himself to the world. This is God telling the nations who he is, what he's like, what they can expect from him if they call out to him as Israel did. This story is a huge part of how God presents himself to the world. You can know me, he says, by this. And that's why the story plays out the way it does. So the first encounter with God that Moses has will come to in a couple of weeks in chapter 3. He comes, to, he comes to this burning bush. God is speaking to him, telling him who he is, sending him back to Israel, or in Egypt, to Israel with a message that God is going to redeem them. And, and Moses asks God in that moment, who will I tell them has sent me? When he does go back to Egypt, he starts talking to Pharaoh, starts delivering his message to Pharaoh. The Lord says to you, let my people go or else. Pharaoh's response is, who is the Lord? that I should obey his voice and let Israel go. I don't know the Lord and I won't let Israel go. That's, his, that's a quote. That's what he says. And this exchange, Pharaoh's question, who is this Lord that you're talking about, sets up the way the plagues play out. You know, one person, one writer said that you know, if, if the plagues, which God sends on Egypt to, 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 to force Pharaoh's hand, to break his will and force his hand to send his people out, if they were only ever about getting Israel out of Egypt, you wouldn't have needed all 10 of them. He could have easily done that. The power that's on display in those plagues is absolute. He could, have, he could have forced their hand with one fell swoop if he'd wanted to. These plagues are intentional theater, putting on display who God is, what sort of God we're dealing with, and, and, and what it means to try to resist him, what happens to those who do. The plagues are answering the question, who is the Lord that Pharaoh poses to Moses when he comes? And that's what Exodus 9, 16 says about these plagues. For this purpose, God says, I've raised you up to show my power so that my name gets proclaimed in all the earth. And again and again, friends, 
not just in his backbreaking of Pharaoh and his oppression of Israel, but in the way he relates to Israel, cares for Israel, and calls back to Israel's mind and attention what he did for them in Egypt, God is saying to Israel and to anyone else who will listen, here's the answer to who I am. This is who I am. The God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. The God who heard you when you cried out and delivered you. Friends, that's a line that echoes not just down through Exodus. We're going to see that line come up over and over again. But echoes back down all through Israel's past and straight into the New Testament. The Psalms sing of this God who delivered them from Egypt. The prophets remind them of this God who delivered them from Egypt. And Jesus comes from this God who had delivered them from Egypt. This line defines for us who God is. So what I mean to say here, and what I want to, what your appetite for and what's coming is that from the perspective of the Bible, you can't know who God is, not fully, without understanding this story. This story, the story of Exodus, is a story that pulls back a curtain and shows him to be a God of grace who redeems those who cry out to him. This is a story about God. So, to speak to how our series is going to work, much of our series, about half of it, is going to be going through these stories, story by story. Sometimes that'll mean covering a couple or three chapters at a time. Sometimes it'll be much shorter. It's going to vary how long these stories take. But each week, for the first half of our series, we're going to take a story and see what it tells us about God. Because that's what it's there for. To introduce him to us on the basis of his saving work in Israel's life. Now, I mentioned that, that the starting place for studying Exodus is, is the grace of God. That this is a story that defines who he is. It's a symbol, not just an actual historical account, but a symbol to us that defines who he is. That's true, but there's more. It's a story about God's grace that shows us who redeems. But it's also a story about obedience. Exodus is a book that shows us what redemption is for. So, okay, God redeems. So far, so good. But for what purpose? Does he set us free so we can go out and live our lives on our terms rather than under the thumb of a tyrannical dictator? That, no, that, that, that's not how this story plays out. Yes, he sets Israel free, but he sets them free from one kind of servitude, one kind of slavery that was not good for them into another kind of servitude that was good for them. From serving the Pharaoh into serving him into knowing what it is to trust and depend on him and to obey him as the God who loves them enough to redeem them. If liberation, if, if getting out of Egypt were the whole point, one, one, as one person put it, you could have stopped the story at chapter 15. Chapter 15 is right after Israel's come out of Egypt. They hit the Red Sea. God parts the Red Sea. They march straight through. He collapses the sea back up on top of all those in Pharaoh's army who come chasing them. That army's destroyed. And now here they are on the backside of an ocean between them and their captivity with nothing but land in front of them. And they sing a beautiful song in chapter 15 that celebrates God's work. It would have been a great time to sit down, to call it a day, if the story were ultimately just about setting people free. God's power to redeem. But when you get to chapter 15, you're not even halfway through the book. The story continues through the wilderness, through Israel's wanderings and engagement with God in that context. 
It continues up to a mountain called Sinai where God comes down and meets with Israel and gives them his law. And then, friends, half the book is the record of this law that he gives. These really concrete, specific instructions for building what's called the tabernacle where they can meet with him and for the feasts that they should have in their life together and for how they should approach the tabernacle where they meet with him. And and what I want you to know this morning before we get into a lot of that content is that one of the great gifts of Exodus behind the story, the, the, the payoff of this story partly is that it helps us understand how to think about the relationship between God's grace which is given to everybody who will ask him for it and God's commands. How does God's grace where he redeems because he's a gracious God, because he loves to save those who turn to him, relate to commands that he gives us about how we should live. The importance of obedience is not just something that's, that comes out in the Old Testament and it's lost. It's all through the Old Testament, but also it's in the New Testament. God redeems into an agenda for our lives. And Exodus is going to help us understand how that works. One, one, one way to think about this is that I, I think Exodus is going to help us avoid two misunderstandings that we could have about how God's grace and God's call for, to obedience for us interrelate with each other. So on the one hand, sometimes we struggle to understand this because our default mode is to think that you obey first and then you get love for it. We think that obedience has to come before God favors us so that you only get as much of his love as you can pay for. I think that's our default mode and it feeds our pride when we think things are going well and it feeds our guilt when we think things aren't going well. But either way, the commands, what we need to see here in the story of the Exodus is that these commands come to us after God's work to save Israel. In fact, when the commands show up, God introduces the commands by reminding them that he'd saved them when they were stuck in Egypt. These commands flow from a grace that he already showed them. So there's one misunderstanding. Exodus is going to help us to correct. You don't get from God only what you can pay for. God acts sovereignly through grace on his terms because that's who he is. On the other side, another misunderstanding that we're tempted to is, is what some people have called cheap grace, where, where our idea of God is that his role in our lives is only ever to give us what we need, what we ask for what he exists to provide. As if he redeems us from bondage to set us free to be whatever or whoever we want to be. The Exodus is going to help us see, no, no, the God of Exodus, he redeems us into a very specific agenda. His agenda. Sometimes, friends, we can, we can tend to think of God as a kind of bit player in a story that's mostly about us. Where, where we're the sort of hero or heroine of the story. The action turns on what's going on in our lives. And God is a player who gets his identity from us. So his role is to, to save us when we don't have anywhere else to turn. And maybe, honestly, if all we had were 15 chapters of, of, of Exodus, it could feed into that misunderstanding that sometimes we live with. God is a kind of 911 operator who's there when we need him or the resource that we tap into when and where it seems best to us. But, but friends, the, the God that we meet in this story, he is the one who's free. This is a God who acts on his terms, who won't be domesticated. Sometimes I think, okay, here, here's another image for you. We can think of 
of God's grace as something we want to pour like jello into a mold that we've established. So we design the mold, the bowl, if you will, of our life. And then we ask him to pour into and fill up this design that we've created so that his grace takes our shape. What Exodus is going to try to help us see, though, is that no, 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 he's putting us, we're the jello. He's putting us into a mold that he's designed because he knows what's good for us. Because he wouldn't throw away the lives of people he worked this hard to redeem. He is good. He wants us to flourish. He knows what that will look like. And his laws are put here so Israel will see this is the mold I'm going to shape you into. And to be honest, what we're going to see in this story is what we've probably all recognized by this point in our lives, no matter what our history with God is. This kind of remolding isn't always pleasant. It wasn't pleasant for Israel. It isn't always pleasant for us. One of the things we're going to see as we walk through these stories is Israel spending years in a wilderness, wandering around, wishing they could go back to slavery in Egypt, angry that God would bring them out only to let them wander tired and hungry and thirsty. And we're going to see commands that can feel like death to what we want for ourselves to life on our terms. And what we'll acknowledge as we move through this story is that we, like Israel, won't always understand either the circumstances, any more than Israel understood their wilderness years, or the commands that God places on our life and calls us to obey. We won't understand them in all cases. And that when we don't understand them, our temptation is going to be to wonder if this God and his agenda is good. And friends, that's why, here here I want to bring together these two themes. The grace of God that defines who he is, the obedience into which God calls us. I want to bring them together. Because we will not always think that the circumstances he brings or the commands that he gives are good for us. We need to remember from this story who God is to us. The God who brings the circumstances, the God who gives the commands, is not a God who's just fallen asleep at the switch. He's not a God who's grown deaf to our cries, inattentive to the things that burden us. He's not an angry tyrant who who just enjoys playing with other people's lives. The God who brings these circumstances and gives these commands is the God of the Exodus. The God who has already done everything necessary to redeem his people. Behind these rules is the God of Israel who redeemed them, standing in front of the Exodus like a presidential hopeful might stand in front of their factory or military installment or whatever, saying, look, this is me. Don't forget that. This is what you can expect in your circumstances, in these commands. Know me. And then embrace this life I've put in front of you. We want to see the God, our God as the God of Exodus so we can embrace his agenda as one that's good for us even when we don't like it or understand it. So with that background, with the background of the stories, the first 10 weeks of our series, we're going to move into 10 weeks on the Ten Commandments. One by one, week by week, we're going to pull apart these representative commands. They're not the only commands that come. There's a lot more laws. The book goes on for another uh, bunch of chapters after the Ten Commandments, but they're really central they have a, a powerful place in the Old Testament and, and, um, and we want to understand what, what they mean and, and what it would look like for us to learn from them on this side of Jesus, even though we're in a different place than Israel was. So we've got 
almost two series within one. We'll have about 10 weeks or so on the stories that show us who God is as the God who redeems. And then we'll have about 10 weeks on commands that he gives as the God who redeems from the same love that motivated him to redeem Israel in the first place because he loves us and wants us to flourish in our lives. That's our plan for these weeks. And what I want to do as we close here is remind you that we will approach this book like Christians. We're going to approach this book like we approach every other part of the Bible, trying to understand where do we see Jesus through it? How does this prepare us for the coming of Christ? What, I, what I've already described here, the, the, the kind of surface level importance of Exodus, picturing who God is to us, how he's redeemed, giving us these commands that he offers so that we can thrive and flourish under him as our God. What I've described there is basically a best case scenario for responding to God's agenda for life that doesn't really show up much in the story that comes after this. Like life on the ground, the harsh reality is that Israel's experience often looked a lot like ours does now. Israel was her own worst enemy. One writer put it at Sinai, Sinai, where God gives them, meets with them and gives them his laws with a much bigger obstacle to Israel enjoying the promised land than Egypt ever was. And what we know through the larger sweep of history, through the, the larger story that the Bible tells, is that sin and death are the primary problems for Israel and for us. What, Israel, what, what Exodus does, the work of this story, is to actually raise a question that we'll need the rest of the Bible to fully answer. How will a God who heard Israel when they were distressed and who showed his power, who bared his arm to set them free. How will a God like that, who freed them from human bondage, respond to their bondage to sin? How will that God respond to the fact that Israel and each one of us accept a kind of willful, voluntary slavery? of our own. The story of God redeeming Israel from Egypt, it echoes, friends, through the whole Bible to explain who he is and what we can expect from him. I've already said that. It's the backdrop for his continued faithfulness to Israel time and again, even when they prefer their ways to his. But the most important thing we need to know from this story is that this story, the God who was revealed here, this is the kind of God who would do something like send his son to deliver his people from sin and death. This is a God who defines himself based on his desire to set people free. This is a God who wouldn't even stop at the life of his only begotten son to make it happen. This is the God that we deal with. Part of what we're looking for in these stories will be God's saving character. Because here we're going to see this pattern that ultimately brings Jesus to us. He's a God who delivers the desperate. He'll give them everything they need. Even when the mess that they're in is a mess they've made for themselves. And even when the cost isn't just some remarkable miracles like the plagues, but the life and blood of his only son. What we're going to be hoping for, our main goal for this series, is that the story of Exodus and the way that it prepares us for the story of Christ's coming to redeem us from sin and death.
will become for each one of us a kind of defining moment that will shape how we live in the world. This was never just a story for historical curiosity. From the very beginning, God is giving Israel tools to keep remembering it, to keep bringing it back up in their life together so that they know themselves by this story. And this story continues through the years to us today so that we can do the same thing. So that we can know ourselves to be loved and cared for by this God. Friend, this story is an offer to you. You may not be a descendant of one, uh, ethnically of, of Israel. But this story in Exodus is a story where God is announcing himself to the nations. It's a thing that comes up over and over again. He wants everybody to know that this is who he is. Israel's story is an invitation to any other desperate person who's willing to cry out to him for grace. And so what you need to know is that no matter what you've done to your life, this is a God who can set you free and who loves to do it. And what you need to know as you face what you face, if you're a Christian this morning, is that everything you experience in life, you, is that you experience as one who's already been redeemed. This is our story. This is who we are. And this is the story that leads us to embrace the life he's put in front of us. That's going to be our goal for the next few uh, months together. I'm so excited to do this with you guys. I want to I finish by mentioning two resources that are on the resource table that could help you if you want some background reading to go a little deeper in the stories that we're going to be considering together. One is a really simple, helpful commentary on Exodus. It's called The Message of Exodus by a great writer named J.A. Motier. You'll find a few copies out there on the resource table. The other is a smaller book that's not verse by verse, but called Echoes of Exodus. And it's about helping you see how the themes that show up in Exodus echo down through the rest of the Bible. How the, the story that's told here becomes a key for understanding the point of other stories later in the Bible. It's really helpful, interesting, quick read. And copies of both of these books are, are on the resource table. I want to close now by praying and asking God to help us as we enter this book. And then we'll sing some songs that'll help us respond to it. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for even what we've gotten to do this morning, just to barely put the toe into the water of the rich well that is this book. And I pray that as we go deeper into it, as we drink of its goodness, we will be refreshed and reshaped by what it has to say. That we would see you for who you are. That we would let your love, proven already in the past, define how we experience our present and future. We trust your spirit is the only power able to do that work in us. And so we ask you to act for us and to set us free. In Jesus' name, amen.